the announcement that you were mentioning was uh, th they're saying that they're going to start using these in all of their standard range vehicles everywhere they sell them, okay. not just China. Everybody, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. I am your host, Jason Stutman. This is a show where we interview stock market experts and investment gurus, if you will, to get their insights, their ideas, and perspectives on the market. Today, we have Luke Burgess with us. Luke is an expert in the resource space, and he's going to be telling us about a unique investment opportunity uh, around, the, around the resource space, uh, specifically surrounding a supply shortage abroad and uh, some tech initiatives in the electric vehicle space. Before we bring Luke in on the conversation, just a quick disclaimer. Uh, nothing that we say here today should be taken as personal or individualized investment advice. Uh, we can't make investment decisions for you, but we can give you the, the tools and the resources and the insights uh, that will help you make the best decisions for yourself in terms of picking stocks and, uh, and anything of that nature. So with all that out of the way, Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Uh, I think a good place to start off is maybe to give the audience uh, some kind of framing in terms of you know who you are, how you got into investing, and then particularly uh, how you got into the resource space and what, what kind of makes you an expert in this in this realm. Um, so how I got into it, um, I got into the financial space because I was actually interested in writing and um, financial writing, uh, it became an opportunity. So I, I pursued that. And from there, I became very interested in investing. Um, and I found that I just had a natural draw to commodities and hard assets. Uh, so I just, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I'm just sort of naturally drawn to it, I guess. Sure. So I, I got to say that the, the, you know, commodities, hard assets, the resource base, I, I, I have to admit that that is probably one of the least interesting areas for me uh, when it comes to investing. I find it kind of like boring, but I, I in com being completely earnest, uh, if there's anybody in this industry who is able to make that side of investing sound interesting and compelling, it is you. So uh, maybe you can kind of like tell us, you know, why why should readers care about commodities and resources, and uh, and how can they get excited about about this particular uh, area of investing? Well, so I don't think that I think that it's very common that people think that uh, commodities are boring, and I guess I can understand to some some way that I guess they're all produced in the same ways. Okay, not all commodities, but. Um, all agriculture is grown, all metals are mined. Um, and it's, I guess, a very dirty business when it comes to mining. And um, there's, no, uh, there's no changes in these elements. The elements have been the same since the, the creation of the universe. Uh, it's not like new technologies being developed. Um, but to me, they are very exciting because they are absolutely necessary. Uh, I understand that things like crypto and NFTs are exciting because they're new, but uh, they're not necessary. Like if crypto was never invented or uh, NFTs, it, we just it, we'd be just fine. Um, the exciting part for me is the in the necessity of these things. Yeah, so I completely uh, I think that that makes sense, and I agree with you. And uh, I. It's like it, I find a hard. I find it to be difficult sometimes to get kind of like hyped up and excited about these things as I would about something like that's a new technology. But I also understand that you know these things are critical, and especially in times right now where you know the you know 
tech is getting absolutely destroyed, and I think resources kind of outperforming. Uh, it, it makes sense to be involved in this space. And uh, I actually recently started to like bite off a little bit of the resource base because I saw that inflation was uh, was was ramping up, and this was a couple of months ago. So I was hoping maybe you could have kind of helped me out with this and tell me where I where I may have went wrong here. But uh, I recently bought Platinum because I. Uh, I did a little bit of research and I found out that that platinum has, uh, you know, historically performed, you know, better than most other commodities during a during periods of inflation. It doesn't seem to be performing that well right now. I'm down about 15% on that investment. Um, so maybe you could give our readers like, uh, you know, maybe your top three picks in terms of metals that you think are good during inflationary periods and particularly this period right now. So when it comes to platinum and inflation, uh, platinum as an investment is a very young. Um, so there's, we don't have a lot of information to, to go off of, but intrinsically, um, platinum is mostly uh, an industrial metal. It's not so much an investment metal. I think that 90% of all the platinum that's mined ends up in uh, a, a, a carburetor. So it doesn't end up as somebody's investment. Um, so it's really... The, the metal itself is really dependent on the health of the catalytic converter uh, industry. Um, the thing with the catalytic converters are, is that they switch between using platinum and palladium. So when palladium prices get high, they switch to use platinum. And when plati- platinum prices get high, they switch to use uh, the other one. <laughs> okay, that's, that's really interesting. Um, but as far as an inflation inflation hedge, um, I don't think platinum is a, a good one. And I, I'd even say that gold is not actually the perfect inflation hedge. I don't think that there is any perfect inflation hedge. But I think that gold is the best of, of breed. OK, so right now, if I want to protect myself against inflation, should I I'm hearing kind of mixed things. I'm hearing people just say, you know, you should be in the dollar. You should be in in, in cash. Should I be in cash or should I be in in gold in terms of, uh, like, if I want to just have some liquidity that is ready to invest for when the market, when I feel like the market is bottoming, what would you, where would you suggest that I should be? Okay, I think you should absolutely be in gold. Okay. And that's because, okay, so right now we're in a a sort of an unprecedented uh, situation where inflation is high, but at the same time, the value of the dollar is at least ostensibly rising. Um, This is something I've been talking about uh, very recently. Um, The value of the dollar is generally measured by um, what's known as the USD index. Um, But the USD index is actually a very poor measure of the dollar. I think it's 57% of the index is actually weighted toward the euro. So that's strange. Even though the USD index is a poor measure, the market sort of takes it as a general measure of the dollar. And what's happening now is the EU, the Federal Reserve um, printed the dollar sort of to death, but the EU sort of like did it much worse. So even though the dollar has, uh, it's, it's under pressure from all the new money that's been created, the euro is under much more pressure. So it sort of ends up, like since the euro is sort of so weak, that sort of inflates the value of the dollar. And this is why we're seeing the dollar uh, trend up right now. Uh, The dollar's value as measured by the USD index is at a 20-year high. What that seems counterintuitive because when you go to the grocery store, the dollars in your pocket are clearly worth much less than they were just 12 months ago. 
Uh, but back to your original question, I think that we want to hedge ourselves against this inflation with gold because I think that the dollar is being sort of overvalued, uh, but I think that's going to be corrected. Okay. And once it does, I think gold prices will go much higher. Okay. Speaking of gold prices, uh, could you maybe give us a one-year prediction of where you think gold is going to go, and then uh, maybe silver as well? So uh, today, gold. I, I checked this morning. Gold is at uh, uh, one thousand eight hundred forty-seven an ounce, and silver is at about twenty-two dollars uh, an ounce. So I actually think gold prices are going to go much higher, actually, in the short term. Okay. I think that we're going to see uh, inflation continue to go higher through the summer months. Uh, and I believe that we'll see inflation peak sometime in July, which means we'll get the inflation reports in August. Okay. Uh, and I think that's when we'll see gold prices really go through the roof because people will have, have spent the entire summer spending uh, much more money than they were last summer. Uh, and uh, I believe that this time is when the U.S. dollar is going to start pulling back. And there's really going to be no other place to go other than gold. So I actually think that Gold is going to be over $3,000 an ounce by mid-August. I know that is a very bullish call. That's very bold. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, we'll see. Okay. Uh, but but for what about longer silver? term, however, um, I'll get back to silver. Sure. But longer term, I actually think what's going to happen is gold is going to go to $3,000 an ounce, more than maybe. But then it might pull back a little bit uh, over the next uh, months after that. Okay. So if you If own... you said over the next year, I'd say gold might be at – a little over $2,000 an ounce this time next year, but $3,000 an ounce. Okay. So are you planning on like, are you waiting for it to be exactly 3000 before you start selling? Or what's your what's your game plan in terms of, w- would you try to sell and time the market? Or are you more of just a long-term gold holder? Um, I do want to time the market very much so. Um, and we'll see many signs of a, a top of, of the gold bull market. Um, if you remember back in 2011, we saw a lot of things like the cash for gold stuff. When we start seeing that, when we start hearing those on the radio, that's a time to start selling gold. When people start asking you about it, should I invest in gold? That's when you sell. When the Uber drivers, when you tell an Uber driver that you're an investor and he says, oh, what do you know about gold? That's the time to sell. Sure. That's like the old Joe Kennedy adage yeah, about, yeah, you yeah. know, his taxi his taxi driver or whatever was telling shoe him when, when to buy. Yeah, shoeshine boy, whatever it is. When he was getting, you know, investment tips from regular people, that's when he knew that the, the yeah, market was yeah, at yeah. the top. Silver? Um, so silver, like um, – Platinum is mostly an industrial metal. About half of the world's demand for silver goes toward all kinds of stuff, mostly electronics. Um, And only a small fraction of it is um, used as a monetary value or monetary metal. However, uh, it's, 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 it's always seen as sort of like the sister metal to gold, the cheaper version of it. Yeah. And you never know how that's going to go. People might buy it, buy silver up. I mean, just look at crypto. I mean, Bitcoin's worth sixty thousand dollars, or at one point it was worth sixty thousand dollars. I don't know why silver can't be worth, you know, a hundred dollars. I don't know why it can't be worth ten thousand dollars if crypto is worth sixty. Sure. Okay. Uh, let's switch gears and uh, kind of to the main reason why we're here today. And that has to do with this investment opportunity that's around a very specific resource uh, that has a pretty, uh, you know, you've been explaining it has a compelling supply-demand situation uh, that you you think is going to send, uh, you know, at least one company's share price kind of, you know, soaring through the roof. Um, maybe you could tell us, we could start with, you know, what is this resource? And, uh, and then maybe you could give us like a, a broad geographic picture of, uh, you know, where is it generally mined and what is it typically used for? 
Okay, so what we're talking about is much more boring than gold. <laughs> is it? I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I thought that this we, this... we actually say in the mining industry, gold is very sexy. This is this is this is dull. This is really dull. Stuff. I thought you. Were, I think you're underselling it because I thought that this whole this whole situation is like very unique. It's like a convergence of factors that actually is, is compelling uh, for for the investment. But go. But well, go no, ahead. no, it's it's a it's a very compelling story. But what we're talking about is it's a very dull resource. The resource itself. Very gotcha. dull resource. But what we're talking about is phosphate or phosphates. Okay. Okay. Phosphate. Phosphates are the ore source for phosphorus. Phosphorus, it's one of the most abundant elements uh, in the universe. It's one of the most abundant elements to be found on, on Earth. It's one of the most abundant elements in your body. Something okay. like 1% of your body weight there is phosphorus. All right. Um, and we use it for a billion different things. Uh, I could sit here and list everything from adhesives to paints to uh, batteries, which we'll talk about today. Um, but the main... Uh, use of uh, phosphate is as the ore source for phosphorus in fertilizers. So um, the world is very dependent on these uh, synthetic fertilizers. About half of the world uh, is alive because of synthetic fertilizers. And we uh, get the phosphorus that we need to make our synthetic uh, phosphor uh, fertilizers from the phosphates that we mine. Uh, now you mentioned or you asked about where these resources are located. So it turns out that phosphorus or phosphate is phosphate deposits are not exactly rare. They are, are actually found pretty much all over the world. It's just that all of them aren't economically viable. Uh, so the most well, the economically viable uh, deposits are the quote unquote reserves. Okay, and what makes uh, certain reserves? economically viable and some are not? Is it just the depth in the ground? Is Most it of the time, it's the depth in the ground, but it's always the, the cost of production. Okay. It could be the fact that it's just too far away. It's located too far. It's too remote. It could be, like you said, it's too deep. There could be a million things. Uh, the taxes could be high. That, that could be a factor. Okay. So let me, uh, let's try to kind of hit on the supply side first. Yeah, at yeah. Least at, at, I mean, at least in relation to the to fertilizer. So uh, one thing that I learned from you uh, over the past couple of months is that um, – is it Russia or Ukraine is the number number two uh, producer of this the phosphorus specifically for fertilizer? Um, Russia. Okay, so it's actually <laughs> for, for for phosphate. Uh, or actually, so that's actually a different so I resource. Guess maybe, that, that's, so, that's potash. That's uh, that's the other part of uh, the uh, the fertilizer thing. But uh, okay. the Russia does have a uh, for a phosphate industry, very important phosphate industry. Okay. So that's the, that's kind of what I'm getting at right now is that there there is this the war with with Russia and Ukraine going on, and are we seeing some sort of impact on the on the supply side because of that, or is that kind of negligible? So Russia uh, has cut or began to cut phosphate uh, and fertilizer products way before okay. the Ukraine stuff started. Uh, they announced that they would begin um, cutting those exports, I believe. In September 2021, and they actually did begin the uh, the cut in December 2021. And they said that they were going to cut for I believe it was a year and a half, but they didn't um, they didn't they didn't actually say that 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 was going to be the end of it. They just said we're going to cut for at least this period of time. Um, but uh, Russia is not really the largest phosphate producer. They are a very important potash. Okay. Uh, pr producer. Uh, China, on the other hand, 
is the world's number one phosphate uh, producer. And they have also said that they're not going to export uh, phosphate resources. Okay. Uh, and this is a big problem because, like I said, the world uh, depends on these uh, resources to... Clearly, we all need to eat. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that is, gives us a little bit of a primer for the supply shortage. Um, maybe we could talk about this, uh, the demand side of things uh, for a moment. So my understanding is that we have kind of this another, an additional pending spike in demand um, that surrounds the electric vehicle industry, specifically an overlooked announcement from uh, Tesla that, that was announced late last year. Um, and the long and short of that, to my understanding, is that they are going to switch the composition of their batteries. Is, uh, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about, about that switch and whether or not, is that certain? Is that something that he was just kind of, that Elon Musk was mulling over? Fill us in there. It's something that's already happening. Okay. So um, in the EV industry, they use different kinds of uh, lithium batteries. They have, there are all these different types, uh, different chemistries of uh, cathodes, different chemistry mixtures that are used. The main, uh, the two main ones in the United States are uh, nickel cobalt aluminum and nickel cobalt manganese. Now, the problem with these things, I don't want to get into the whole, like, how it all works, but the problem here is the cobalt. Uh, what companies need to do is they need to stop using all this cobalt. That's because, first of all, it's very expensive, but uh, also from where it's sourced. Uh, approximately 70% of the world's cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, um, which, as you can imagine, any country that names itself the Democratic Republic of anything is... Uh, probably not democratic, nor has any kind of Republican structure whatsoever. Sure. Um, but the DRC, it's well known to host uh, a litany of human rights violations. In fact, I don't know if we could, if we could show this, uh, but there's a list of human rights violations on the State Department's website. It's just, it's insane. It's like, I, I don't think that they missed any one of them. Um, so anyway, uh, most of the world's cobalt comes from this pretty much hell on earth. When you say most, is that like 51%? 70% of the supply. And also 50% of the reserves, those are the uh, mineable reserves, okay. are in the Congo. Um, so companies don't really want to be involved with that. Okay, yeah. I mean, I would, it's kind of obviously Tesla would want to decouple from that. They have this kind of like you know, planet saving image, this, it's a very, they, they have a very positive, you know, ESG yes, uh, yes. image to, yeah, to protect. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, so what's the solution then? Uh, are there, are there maybe local uh, cobalt mines that Tesla could, could use, or is that's, that's not feasible. So that's why they're switching to phosphate. So there are some solutions. Um, the first solution is basically to use less cobalt to develop batteries that just sort of work the same, but just use less cobalt. They are working on that. Um, the other solution is, like you said, source this cobalt in a different way and then recycle it. Okay. So one way Apple has, or one, one way a company has gotten away with this is, is Apple. They are recycling all of their batteries. They, they no longer source new cobalt, but they get it from their old batteries that they get recycled. Um, but at the end of the day, the cobalt was still originally sourced by some six-year-old kid in hell on earth. Uh, so the, the this ultimate solution is just to eliminate the cobalt from the battery. And, and that's what Elon Musk and Tesla are doing. 
That's what they are doing. That's what they're actively doing. Okay. And they're, so they're switching specifically to a, to a lithium phosphate battery? What, what's the exact composition in that? So, yes. It, so they are uh, switching from the nickel cobalt aluminum okay. to a, a lithium iron phosphate. Okay. And the abbreviation for that is? LFP. LFP. Why LF? Uh, F-E is the chemical symbol for iron. So it's actually L-F little E-P. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so is it just Tesla that's taking this route or are there other auto manufacturers that are uh, participating in this kind of switch as well? Okay. So Tesla is already started this. Uh, they use LFP batteries in the standard range Model 3s that they sell in China now. Okay. The announcement that you were mentioning was uh, they're saying that they're going to start using these in all of their standard range vehicles everywhere they sell them, okay. not just China. Um, and yes, uh, Ford, uh, Volkswagen, Mercedes, everyone is switching over to these LFP batteries because they don't want to be associated with cobalt, but also because cobalt is very expensive. Okay, so this is a pretty big switch in the automotive industry. This is a huge switch. And is it just electric vehicle batteries, or are there other batteries as well, maybe like you know uh, home energy solutions and things like that? Or is, is There are. There okay. are. So LG is, has working on a, a, a home pack. Okay. Uh, and also I read a, a few weeks ago there is somebody who is uh, building a LFP gigafactory somewhere here in the United States. I, I'll have to – get your details on that. I, I just saw the headline just recently. Okay. So yes, there are more applications than just the EV stuff. Okay. So cobalt is kind of the, I guess you could frame it maybe as like the problem child of conventional lithium ion batteries. But uh, there are also some problems with phosphate as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So phosphate is its own problem child of these new these new batteries. Yeah, Could yeah, you kind of yeah. give us a little bit more context on on the, you know, the specific hurdles with phosphate itself. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, phosphate is not necessarily a rare resource. It's actually very common. What is rare is finding it in concentrations that are high enough to mine and that are profitable to mine. But there's another, I guess, another level to phosphate deposit rarity. So the way that these deposits are formed, 95% of deposits Phosphate deposits are what are known as sedimentary deposits. They're, the other 5% are known as igneous deposits. Um, I, I, have an, I have a graphic that I could, we could throw up on screen to explain how, the, how they form. But essentially, a sedimentary deposit is formed when sand and sediment uh, uh, fall over millions of years. Or sorry, they fall and can compress over millions of years into rock. An igneous deposit is one that's formed when it, it goes up. When it's, when, I'm sorry, when minerals are pushed Okay, and which of these are preferable? Does it does it make a difference or? Yes. So in the sedimentary deposits, again, ninety five percent of the world's phosphate uh, reserves are in these sedimentary deposits. When the uh, companies uh, process the phosphate out of those deposits, they end up with a dangerous and toxic waste product. That dangerous and toxic waste product contains heavy metals like mercury, lead, uh, zinc. I'm sorry, mercury, lead, uh, cadmium but also radioactive materials like uranium and thorium. Okay. So where are the igneous deposits? I'm, that's just, I'm kind of, I feel like that's we're where kind we're of, going. Yes. yes. So, so there are only a few igneous deposits in the world and most of them are in Russia, okay. which we don't have, we don't have any access to anymore, but there are a handful here in the United States and in Canada. The largest are in Canada. Smaller ones are here in the United States. 
Um, so the igneous deposits, when they when they produce their uh, their phosphate concentrate, they don't produce these heavy metals or radioactive elements, or they don't produce them to such a degree. Okay, and you're you're assuming, I guess, I guess your thesis is that you know Tesla, Ford, especially you know any kind of these Amer- these American manufacturers are going to lean towards these igneous deposits specifically in the in, in North America. So absolutely, absolutely. Okay, you know, in Florida, uh, Florida has a very large phosphate mining industry. There are hundreds and hundreds of tons of of these of this uh, radioactive and dangerous waste just sitting around. I think it's going to take one hurricane for it to become like. A real national story, just to spread this stuff around, and um, it, it'd be bad. It would be very bad. Specifically in Flor- from Florida, you're saying? In Florida, yeah. Uh, there are two companies that have large operations in Florida, uh, Mosaic and Nutrien. And you're saying that those have the toxic yeah, so byproducts? The f- yeah, the fl- the phosphate deposits in Florida are all sedimentary deposits. Okay, got you. And where? And the igneous ones you're saying are specifically in up n- more more farther north, uh, but mostly in Canada. Okay, gotcha. And, and I'm assuming that that is where you have some sort of resource play that you're that you're recommending. Yeah, is yeah, it yeah. one company? Yeah. It was a couple of companies. So I found this company who has been working on this igneous phosphate deposit for ten years. And, and they've been sort of like working under the radar. They have the CEO has been the same guy for C, for ten years, and he's been he started the project from a grassroots oper, uh, uh, property, and now it is a shovel ready project. Okay, and nobody's been paying attention to this for ten years. Like I said, phosphate is pretty boring. Nobody really cares about phosphate, even though it's uh, extremely important. Until now. Okay. Because now people are starting to pay attention to the, the battery side of it. Okay. So, yeah, it sounds like there's a perfect storm for specifically for this company right now. Um, we're not going to give it away on this podcast because you do uh, – you have a paid newsletter in which you are kind of – you have you recommended that stock already? Oh, yeah. Or you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we follow the company very closely, and you and you deal detail all that in a in a report, or what's the you know if I'm a subscriber of your service, what what does that look like in terms of in terms of what I'm getting and the information I'm getting around that? So when you sign up to Junior Miners uh, Trader, I have put together uh, a huge seven thousand page report. Uh, Wait, what? Seven thousand? Seven thousand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the editor was not happy with that. Wait, seven thousand or seven hundred? Seven thousand words. Seven thousand uh, words. Okay, I thought you said pages. I was like, no, that, seven, sounds, 7, that sounds page. like you wrote like several novels. Maybe I did say pages. Okay, yeah. seven thousand words. Okay, yeah. Um, and it goes through uh, both aspects of the phosphate uh, uh, industry, the fertilizer, and uh, the Tesla battery stuff. Okay, very interesting. Um, and I, I would assume that that kind of contains like a price target on the stock, company name, ticker symbol. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to contain everything you need to start buying the stock today. All right. And what else do uh, members of Junior Mining Trader receive? So, uh, well, we just – well, okay. So every week we, I send uh, uh, subscribers my outlook on the market, my short-term outlook, what I think markets are doing, where I think gold's heading. And I also update them on uh, stocks uh, and uh, the company news. Um, sometimes I'll do recommendations, um, but we also have a monthly. That's where I'm going to do most of my new recommendations and uh, interviews with uh, CEOs and stuff. Those t- take a little longer to put together. Okay, great. Well, look, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I think Junior Mining Trader, as far as uh, reading about the resource base goes, it's probably like my favorite resource in order to do that. Right on. Um, 
So I think what we'll do is we'll leave a, a link in the description or maybe somewhere you know around here uh, for anyone who's interested in learning more about that service and becoming a member. Uh, Luke, thanks for coming in today. Uh, hope to see you next time. Uh, as for everybody else, all of our viewers, uh, definitely make sure to check out the link, check out Luke's service. It really is a extremely valuable resource. And otherwise, please like and subscribe to the video and we'll see you next time. Thanks.